This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. When Hurricane Idalia slammed into the Big Bend last month, it brought with it record storm surge to a wide swath of the Gulf Coast. Pinellas County beaches, nearly 200 miles from where Idalia made landfall, experienced some of the worst erosion seen by local residents and coastal researchers in decades. Some of the sand dunes were completely wiped out. The storm made an ongoing problem much worse. Even before Idalia, efforts to re-nourish the beaches have been complicated by a standoff over property rights. Today on Florida Matters, we'll discuss the science of beach erosion with University of South Florida professor Ping Wong, and we'll talk with Pinellas County Public Works Director Kelly Hammer-Levy, who's been working with the Army Corps of Engineers and city officials and local residents in Sand Key, Treasure Island and Long Key to get these projects going. But first, here's why the renourishment is at a standstill. The county pays 35% of the cost of beach renourishment, and the federal government pays 65%. Because it's using public money, the Army Corps wants permanent easements before it will do the work, and a lot of landowners don't like that. My beef is with perpetuity. You want to do this right now? I'm fine with that. You want me to sign away rights to my property that you can come out whenever you want, however you want, forever? I have a problem with that. Katrina Hale owns the Sand Glow Villas Hotel, across Gulf Boulevard from where the Army Corps of Engineers held a town hall last Friday in Indian Shores. She wants her beach renourished, but... Giving away all my rights for perpetuity, or giving away a, a right to somebody else for perpetuity? I don't think so. This building has held its own since 1932. I'm pretty sure it's going to hang tough some more. Hale told WSF Steve Newborn she believes something has to give between the landowners and the Army Corps of Engineers. But Colonel James Booth, District Commander for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Jacksonville District, says they don't plan to waver from requiring permanent easements. The federal interest in protecting the infrastructure behind it, it does come with a requirement by law that says that I, I can't as a federal agency spend money to protect private property and that's where we go to requiring these perpetual easements so that we can come in and, and do the restoration on these projects after the storms have the impacts that we know they have on them. For more on how the county is trying to solve the impasse and what happens if the Army Corps or the landowners refuse to budge, we talked with Pinellas County's Kelly Hammer-Levy. We spoke via Zoom. So you spent a little bit of time over the last few days checking out the beaches along Pinellas County. Just how bad is that erosion? It is as bad as we've ever seen. Uh, we've worked with a, a, you know, the University of South Florida's um, team there and our, our consultant team that have been looking and managing our beaches and surveying our beaches for 30 years. And they said they have never seen it this bad, much worse than her mine. And how much damage did Hurricane Idalia do? Or was some of that erosion just kind of stuff that's happened over time? Well, we had eroded quite a bit from you know, other storms that have come through in the last, you know, five years or so. Winter storms can be actually a lot more damaging than tropical events. Uh, those winter fronts come in and, and can do a lot of erosional damage. But Adelia, not only did it damage the berm itself, that's that's the area that most people are familiar with. They walk on it. It's the flat area. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I mean, just dunes were completely eliminated um, in Passagrill, um, some areas of Indian Rocks Beach, um, some areas of Clearwater. I mean, there are just areas where, you know, we have pre-Adalia pre, pre -Adalia photos 
of dunes and now there's just nothing. I mean, there's nothing but roots that you can kind of reach down into the sand and pull up so you know there was a dune there, but there's not a grain of sand left. I wonder if you could explain how beach erosion is fixed typically. Like where does the replacement sand come from? How is it actually put on the beaches? Well, in Pinellas County, we have a, a number of very local sand sources. So we're lucky in that way. Um, there are areas of Florida where they have to truck sand in, they don't have local sources, but we have um, all of our, our inlets have, you know, if you, if you go out John's Pass, for example, you'll see their sandbars out off the coast west of the channel. And those, those shoals build up over time and we utilize that, that as a sand source and place that on the beach. We also have Egmont Shoal, which is further offshore as our as a large sand source for nourishing our beaches. So um, we use a lot of nearshore sources that are that are already approved, and then we have our offshore borrow area. Now we're very lucky to be sand rich in this area. And re-nourishing those beaches with sand involve city and county government, also the federal government in the form of the US Army Corps of Engineers. So who's responsible for what in that mix? Well, we, our project, um, the Pinellas County Shore Protection Project was authorized back in 1966 by Congress and has been constructed over the years numerous times um, in Sand Key, which runs from Clearwater down to a section of North Reddington Beach, um, Treasure Island, which includes Sunshine and Sunset Beach, North and South segments, and then Long Key, which is the Upham Beach project at the north end and Passerelle at the south end. And the county serves as what's called the local sponsor. Uh, the Army Corps, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't want to work with city by city by city by city. That that would create a lot of discontinuity. And so the county serves as that single point of contact. But we still need a lot of, of collaboration and participation from our cities. Um, especially when it comes to being able to utilize um, the public spaces for staging areas and working with the residents when we have uh, easement needs and those types of issues. And currently, there's a bit of a standoff, right? The, some residents aren't keen to provide easement, and that's creating a, a holdup in the, in the work that needs to be done? Yes, currently all three segments are on hold. Um, Sand Key's been on hold for quite some time. We have about 220 easements out of the 461 that we need. Um, so that that project in and of itself is, is at a standstill. Treasure Island, we really don't have um, a formal number yet as to how many properties we need. We know it's going to be a lot, um, but we're, we have to work with the state um, on the erosion control line in Sunset Beach. And we need to then coordinate with, with the uh, Army Corps to exactly determine where they're asking for easements. And then on the Long Key segment, there are three easements that are needed on the, on the north end of the project. And the south end of the project is all in city ownership. So that, that area is fine. But unfortunately, it can't move forward independent of everything else. So as public works director, do you find yourself having to kind of get out there and advocate for the work? Like are you 
becoming a cheerleader for trying to get this work done, explaining to landowners why those easements are necessary and why they need to give a little to get their beaches back? I do. You know, I was out last Thursday from, you know, walked 10 miles <laughs> on the beach and I spoke with a number of residents and they are, um, you know, the, the individuals who did sign the easement said, I just don't understand. You know, I signed the easement ahead of the 2018 project. I got sand. I've had no issues. It hasn't been a problem. Why won't they sign? You talk to the folks who won't sign. It's, you know, it's a variety of issues. They feel there it's a taking, they're taking my property. Um, it requires public access and use. I don't want people sitting on my seawall. Um, you know, then, and they don't want it to be perpetual. You know, these projects are federally authorized for 50 years. And so there's, they don't understand why is the Army Corps asking for a perpetual easement when the project isn't perpetual. Mm. So I try to share with residents, you know, the information that we've received from the Army Corps um, as to the importance of it, why they're asking for it, what their, you know, perspective is. At the same time, I'm trying to advocate for our citizens and our residents and our businesses with the Army Corps to try to see if there's a middle ground. I honestly believe there is. Um, the question is, how do we move a little bit towards the middle? And and right now we're we're this we're really far apart, and we we need to come together. I know there's a solution, but it's gonna it's gonna take folks being willing to work together. Could the Army Corps of Engineers do without some of those easements, though? Or are they sticking to their line? They're sticking to 100% perpetual public access and use easements or no project, correct. And to your point, the last time this project was done was back in 2018. That's not so long ago. So presumably in five years or so, you could be in the same situation having to re-nourish those beaches again. The Sand Key is on a, it's really designed to be on a five-year cycle, but the Army Corps has historically done that project on a six-year cycle. So yes, we we do definitely have a defined time in which we typically nourish. And then there are events like, you know, like Adelia, um, you know, that that happened to coincide this time with a what would be an, a, a routinely scheduled project. But if it were not, um, because it's a federally uh, authorized project, there's a program for coming in and doing projects when an event like Idalia causes a lot of damage. But again, the Army Corps has said, you know, that we would not be eligible for that emergency response, that emergency funding, if we don't have the easements. You're listening to Florida Matters. We'll continue the conversation about Hurricane Idalia's impact on Pinellas County beaches with the county's public works director, Kelly Hammer-Levy, after the break. And later, we'll dig into the science of beach erosion. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. Let's get back to the conversation with Pinellas County Public Works Director Kelly Hammer-Levy about beach erosion in the wake of Hurricane Idalia. Storm surge and waves from the powerful hurricane made an ongoing problem much worse for beaches along Sand Key, Treasure Island and Long Key. I understand some business owners want part of the tourism bed tax for Pinellas County to go towards funding beach renourishment. Is there a realistic solution to renourish those beaches that doesn't involve the Army Corps of Engineers? I'm assuming it's quite expensive and needs specialised equipment to do the work, but could a private company come in and do that work if there was a workaround? 
Well, there a, a private companies do come in and do the work for the Army Corps. So they design it and permit it and they put it out to bid. And typically a very large, you know, dredging company that in the United States comes in and does that project. They are very large projects. Um, the Army Corps does not do the work themselves. Um, and yes, local governments can do the same. Currently, the county, the, the federal county cost share is 65% federal, 35% county. So for Sand Key right now, we had estimated that project would be about $50 million before Idalia. We don't know what that is today. So there is a portion of the tourist development tax that is allocated towards beach renourishment, but if, if we had to go it completely alone, um, this could get very expensive very quickly. And you know, I know there are some folks, citizens that have expressed they don't feel that it's fair that, you know, that we take public tax dollars to benefit, you know, private individuals. Um, there is absolutely a public benefit to beach nourishment. It drives our economy. It provides tremendous environmental resources for nesting sea turtles, shorebirds, um, and the like. It, it, it's, it's, it's storm damage reduction, not simply for the private properties, but also for the public infrastructure. We have roads, bridges, water, sewer, stormwater systems out there, traffic control systems out there. That beach provides a tremendous amount of risk reduction for all forms of infrastructure, whether it's private or public. So there is both a public interest and a private interest in these projects. And that's why it's so important for the community and all of us to come together. Because this, is a, this isn't a, a one, to me, this is not a, a one size fits all solution. There, there are tools in the toolbox to get this done. The question is, are we all still willing to talk together to get it done? So this is a pretty urgent issue for you, would it be fair to say, Kelly? Like, is this the, the biggest thing on your plate right now? It is absolutely the biggest thing on my plate right now. Uh, we are looking towards emergency measures for some of these areas that I just described uh, because they cannot take another hit. Uh, so we have to find some emergency solutions to implement in those areas now. Um, we're working on uh, bringing, uh, developing a, uh, a contract for the design and permitting of a, of a standalone project that the county would lead in case we are not able to resolve what's currently happening with the Army Corps. Uh, so we, have, we are spinning a lot of plates right now and with the, with the goal of having both short-term emergency measures and a longer-term solution to managing our coastal systems. Kelly Hammer-Levy, Public Works Director for Pinellas County, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Renourishing the beaches is expensive, but as Ping Wong points out, it's more than just aesthetics. He's a professor in the University of South Florida's School of Geosciences who specializes in coastal research. We spoke with Professor Wong by Zoom. You've you've studied um, coastal erosion. This kind of part of Florida, too, is been a place you've been looking at for a long time like kind of put it in context how bad is it well been studying since 2000 so over 20 years now and uh, combined beach and dune erosion and this is the worst that I have measured so far when you think about dunes as well like how important are they in preventing further erosion or, or stopping some of the worst impacts of a storm and what impact down the track 
is the dune erosion from Hurricane Idalia going to have? It's going to be fairly significant. So dune serves uh, quite a few purposes. Uh, actually, one for storm and kind of because it's higher, it can really protect the infrastructure behind. However, there's a caveat is that dune is made out of sand. So if the storm is uh, very long lasting, then the dune will get gradually eroded away. So it's, it's more of like a soft protection. And without storm, the, the dune tends to actually grow, tends to actually grow because the sand on the beach will get blown by wind into the dune field, and then the, gradually the dune field will grow. It's also occupied by vegetation. However, for that particular dune growth to happen, we need to have healthy beach. See, if the beach is narrow, some locations along our coast, if the beach is narrow, even without storm, some places the beach still erodes then the dune, sometimes dune get eroded just uh, by uh, normal condition. But most of the dune erosion tends to happen during storm, simply because dune rise high. So on the regular weather, uh, the ocean do not quite get to the dune, right? The dune stays there unless the beach is gone, then the wave attack the dune directly. I wonder though, is there a limit to how much can be done to prevent erosion? Like, at what point does it become impractical to keep replenishing the beaches with sand through human activity? So that question has been studied uh, for a while. The, the solution is not as easy as we can come up with because uh, beach nourishment, although it's a soft solution, you know, the sand get uh, eroded away. It is the best uh, solution uh, we have uh, so far. And if you look at the history of uh, shore protection, it's actually an interesting evolution, sort of speaking. We started with the uh, rocks. We started with the building wall. We started with building structure. Every time the New Jersey coast is a perfect example. Every time we got into some sort of trouble, we put seawall, we put growings, and uh, it took us, uh, the coastal community, about 30, a good 30, 40 years to realize that actually doesn't really work. Just because the piece of rock or the wall stays and do not move, but the sand around it still will move. Then we realized actually just putting the sand back on the beach and strategically putting the sand back on the beach is actually a more economical and a more a successful approach. How sustainable it is is still is a question that uh, we are we are still thinking. I've been speaking with Ping Wong, professor in the University of South Florida's School of Geosciences, specializing in coastal research. Professor Wong, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Donora Prevost is our producer, and this is Donora's last episode of Florida Matters. Donora, it's been great working with you on the show. Thanks, and we wish you all the best. Production assistance for this week's show from Steve Newborn. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.